Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Mark Santum. So there he was, the young king looking on. As soldiers under his command did the king's bidding on a hillside in Samaria, one by one they grabbed the defiant, ungodly priests and executed them by the sword upon the very altars that just hours before these priests were using to offer pagan sacrifices to foreign gods. As the last priests lay there lifeless, the king gives the order to burn the very bones of these priests upon their own altars, thus defiling them for all time. As he stands there in silence, watching the flames consume these bodies, the king is unaware that this very moment was prophesied over 200 years earlier. Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. 1 Kings 13.2. Well, good morning. How's that for a light, quippy introduction to our star of our sermon today, King Josiah? Two weeks ago, in case you uh, have not been here, we started a series, Steve and I, called BC Squared, which is a cool and lazy man's way of saying biblical characters uh, before Christ. Um, they're so, the Old Testament is so rich, it's huge, and just um, statistically speaking, most evangelical Christians in America do not know nearly as much about the Old Testament as they do the New, so we thought we'd uh, try to help all of us ascend that learning curve together. Um, two weeks ago, Steve tackled the prophet Amos, and last week he uh, did a, had a great sermon on the Syrian commander Naaman. So in case you've missed it, do you realize that you can go on our website or on your phone, find the sermons tab, and you can listen to these sermons real easily? And uh, just in case some of you don't know, every week, uh, Pastor Steve and his wife Jane do a podcast called Deeper Still, where they go and they will reflect and talk about the sermon just happened on Sunday. So dig a little bit deeper. So if you have not been availing yourself to those resources, you really need to do that. So this morning... Let's explore the life of King Josiah. If King Josiah had a theme verse, right, what would it be? Well, I think it's apropos uh, to quote here 2 Kings 23, 25, when they say this about Josiah. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength in accordance with with the law of Moses. That's, how many of you would like to have something similar on your, on your, on your headstone, right? In your obituary. That is a strong call right there. So this morning, let's explore the, and celebrate the life of what we shall call, henceforth how he shall be known today as Josiah the Tenacious, right? So uh, there are, there are um, two streams uh, of his stories. Uh, the first is found in 2 Kings 22 and 23. The second is in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. Same story. They give, it's a little bit like the Gospels, right? It's the same story told with a different vantage point. Um, so uh, we, will be, we will kind of be perusing kind of a panoramic view of Josiah's life today. So the question to start us off with is this. How does a young man who became king of Judah at the tender age of eight, right, Boy, when I was eight years old, I, I would have eaten Tide Pods if there were Tide Pods back then. I mean, that's what I was doing when I was eight. 
This kid becomes king, right? How does someone at the tender age of eight turn someone turn into someone who slaughters pagan priests on the high places of Samaria? What happens in, in between time there? Well, there's a background, a very interesting background that we can catch you up with real quickly. Here's a few um, great and interesting facts about Josiah. First of all, he ruled in the 7th century B.C., around 700 years before the birth of Christ. He was a son to King Ammon. King Ammon uh, was a godless man. Uh, the only mercy that the Lord had on Judah was that he only reigned for two years before he was assassinated. Um, however, Josiah's bigger problem was his grandfather. Josiah's grandfather was the evil King Manasseh, who was arguably the most wicked king in the history of Judah. Um, he reigned over Judah for 55 years. You want to hear uh, King Manasseh's uh, resume? A little bit different than the verse I just read about Josiah. Here's, uh, what, here's what 2 Kings 21 says about the evil reign of Manasseh. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and to the, and the Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in, everybody say in, in the temple of the Lord. Whew of which the Lord has said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced divination. He sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So, that is a lot to, to help get your mind around this too. Like the, the high places, you hear a lot of that in the Old Testament. Those are localized centers, centers of worship for foreign gods, usually consisting of a shrine and an altar to make sacrifices on. The Asherah poles, that they, were, um, they were literally these poles where you'd gather around to worship the Canaanite goddess of fertility. And if the goddess of fertility should uh, indicate anything, there was a lot of cultic prostitution that was uh, part of the culture. Uh, the altar of Baal that was used to sacrifice to the Canaanite, god of, uh, the Canaanite god of agriculture. Remember, it was an agrarian world, so if you could get a god on your side, wow, then that's going to be helpful to you. And then obviously, uh, as it was said in the previous uh, passage about Manasseh, there were altars to the god Molech. This is right from the fires of hell right here, the Phoenician god. He would grant financial success if you would be willing to sacrifice your son to him in the fire. This is, this is the Jewish state uh, of the union. Josiah is born into 57 years of tyranny and godlessness. But if Josiah, if he, if he subscribed to Ancestry.com and he went back 58 years earlier, he would find that there was hope. You see, his great-great-grandfather was the great king Hezekiah who instituted all kind of spiritual reform in the worship of the Lord so does it seem likely that, that Judah would have even known about King Hezekiah? Obviously, Ammon and Manasseh, they probably weren't going out of their way to tell Josiah about him. I mean, looking back in here, how many of you can trace back your spiritual heritage to your parents, to your grandparents, to your great-grandparents, and you see where God broke in and started that lineage of godliness, right? How many of you, this, just, this is uh, just kind of out of curiosity, how many of you... Um, you, where the, the lineage of faith in your family started with your parents. Can I see your hand? 
all right? How many of you with your grandparents? All right. Now, the family tree knowledge, how about your great-grandparents? All right. How many of you started with your generation? You know, yeah. Look at all these hands here. Isn't that so neat? God is just hovering over generations and breaking in and breaking in and starting these lines of faithfulness, right? Um, you know, my grandfather on my mother's side, he wasn't a real spiritual giant. He did come to faith before he went to be with the Lord. Uh, but I, re- I remember about him. I was about 10 years old, and, uh, you know, my, my grandpap, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and he loved to watch the Pirates games. He'd sit there with a can of Iron City beer, which is arguably the world's worst-tasting beer ever, right? Great city, horrible beer. That should have been there. I think it was from the runoff from the steel mills. They just put it in a can. <laughs> And so uh, I was like, hey, Grandpa. I was like, you know, because I, you know, my house, no, nobody, nobody drank in the house growing up. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take your beer and I'm going to drink it. And we're going to drink all at the time. And my grandfather being the wise man, he's like, yeah, go ahead. It's like, for real? It's like, yeah, I won't tell anyone. I was like, yeah. So I took and I, I, I drank this battery acid <laughs> and put it down. He's like, Pfft. he's like, yeah, that'll cure you. I haven't, didn't try a beer again for another 12 years, I don't think. So he was a smart man. So 2 Chronicles 34.3 says this, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the Lord, the God of his father. So what happened between the ages of 8 and 16 that, that perpetuated this search? Why didn't Josiah take the path of least resistance and just follow the spiritual treachery of Ammon, his father, or Manasseh, his grandfather? Well, there's a lot of reasons we can, uh, we can guess here today, but I guarantee you here's two of them. The answer is dynamic duo, the, the dynamic duo, the Holy Spirit and his mama. How many know the Holy Spirit and a mama is a good combination, right? How many of you would not be who you are without the Holy Spirit and your mama, right? So as we'll see later in, in, in the sermon, there are no scriptures left in the land, right? Ammon and Manasseh had no reason to keep them around. And so um, just because the written word of God wasn't there, that does not mean that the spirit of God was absent, I love you guys. A lot of people know this verse. This verse was, was prophesied in the days of King Asa. We have it on the screen there. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I think, that's, I think that is still true today. The eyes of the Lord looking. They find Asa, a responsive heart. So the spirit rushes in, right? Think of the millions of Christians of today, right? They do not have access to the word of God. They don't. Something we take for granted. But does that mean that they are incapable of living the Christian life? Does it? No, because remember, we are primarily people of the Spirit, right? Not to, not, to, not to diminish the place of God's Word in life. If I was doing that, you can kick me out of the church, lock me, and never bring me back. But what I'm saying is, you know, even when, when Christ looked at the disciples one time and he said, listen, it is better for you that I go away. What? How can it be better? Because Jesus said, I'm leaving you a book to read. <laughs> he said, I'm giving you the Spirit. All right? And so if you have the Word of God without the Spirit, you know, the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. So all that to say is that, that um, the Spirit noticed that Josiah had a heart that was alive to God. So the Spirit of God is at work. And so who does he use? Here's the other half of the dynamic duo, his mother. The Bible mentions his mother, Jedidah who probably remembered the stories of God's faithfulness passed down through generations. 
uh, who probably experienced the Lord's goodness. She prayed to the Lord. She probably remembered the scriptures from the Torah and rem- remembered these life-giving scriptures. And it was passed down orally. And you can just see her raising Josiah in this godless era and her just pouring the word of God into him, this seed that the Holy Spirit breathed to life. You know, when you look at some of these uh, passages, these times in Israel's history, you think, man, how godless. But you know what? There's always a remnant, right? There's always a remnant of faithfulness. Guys, this, we're talking about parent power right here. Deuteronomy 6. Remember, parents, with God's help, you are the, you are the primary spiritual caregivers for your kids. It's not the youth pastor. It's not your kid's Christian school teacher, right? It's not, your, not the grandparents. They can all come and help. It is your responsibility. In fact, that the, uh, we meet uh, two times a month. We, the dads uh, meet at Panera, and we just talk about how to be dads, right? And so yesterday we talked about Deuteronomy 6. If you are a parent and you're not familiar with the first, you know, nine or 12 verses of Deuteronomy 6, you should get acquainted because it is the Lord's mandate for the importance of your role. So we had a little handout yesterday. I'm just going to throw this out of here. If there are any parents, I'm going to leave this here after the service. It's a little, um, it's called Four Must-Do Parenting Principles from Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to leave this right here. Boom. If any parents want to come up and get that, um, I just want to throw that out just as we talked about it yesterday. So the result of this dynamic duo, this tender, clueless eight-year-old king was transformed into Josiah the Tenacious. In the 12th year of his reign, when he was 20 years old, Josiah began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, and the idols. Basically, he was rolling up his sleeves. He said, I am going to drain this spiritual swamp, right? And so what I love is that Josiah the Tenacious, I believe when we, you see his life, he's tenacious for two reasons. One, because he's a purger of sin. And two, because he's a pursuer of God, right? This dude here, he starts with a purging. He rolls up his sleeve here. Right? And so if you look um, in 2 Chronicles 34, 4 through 7, I'm just going to summarize it for you. So listen to what he does. I'm going to read what I call the eight verbs of tenacity, right? So this guy, this guy meant business. This is what he did. He tore down the altars of the Baal cult. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them. He smashed the Asherah poles. If he had Hulk there, he'd be like, Hulk, smash, right? He broke the idols into pieces. He scattered those pieces on the graves of the people who sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests upon their altars. He crushed all cultic relics into powder, and he purged Judah and Jerusalem of much, if not all, of the 57 years of idolatry. Guys, he was a Chuck Norris of Judah, right? This guy was serious business, right? So, you know, you read, you, you read the, um, the book of James here. It talks about faith without action. This dude was already living the book of James. He rolled up his sleeve and was like, man, we are not just going to talk about it. I, 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 I recall 1 Corinthians 4.20 came to mind when Paul says to Corinthians, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but one of what? Power, right? Even godly kings of Asa and Je- Jehoshaphat, for as godly as they were, they didn't have the wherewithal to go tear down these high places. They left them alone. But uh, where, they, where they failed, Josiah the Tenacious succeeded. And we're not talking about these little corner places in Judah. I mean, this is the infrastructure, these, these cults, these shrines. It's in the temple for crying out loud. He's going after them. Um, it's obvious that you can see that the prophecy of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 16.9 were all over 
uh, Josiah and strengthen him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what, what his mother, can you imagine the, the, the look on her face as she saw her son tackle this? Here she is ministering the word of God to him these years. And now look at him. And, and, the, and, and the soldiers under his command, they're like, what is happening here? We've never done it that way before since as long as they've lived. Um, you know what it's like? Um, here's another movie reference. Anyone ever see uh, The Untouchables, right? Elliot Ness is in The Untouchables. They go into Chicago, which is uh, run and owned by who? Al Capone, right? You don't touch Al Capone's empire. And they came in and started knocking it down little by little by little. That's what's going on here. He's like the, he's like the Elliot Ness um, and the Chuck Norris of Judah. That's uh, also good to put on your headstone, right? So to this point, King Josiah has used the power of his crown pretty much to enforce his personal godly convictions, much to the delight of some, much to the confusion of others, and to the chagrin of many. But uh, the question is asked, why is there not a widespread eagerness and willingness of the people of God to come back him up in repentance? Why is that? Well, Jeremiah the prophet, years later, uh, would look back, and he had a conversation with God about this very time of King Josiah. Uh, and you can read it with me up here on the screen. Jeremiah had a conversation with God from Jeremiah 3, said this, During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all of this, she would return to me, but she did not. And guess what? Her unfaithful sister, Judah, saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of her idolatries, her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She went and committed adultery as well. Um, so, do you ever have some, God ever put someone in your life that would be considered like a cautionary tale? And then your parents are like, huh? If you go and do what your brother did, you're going to end up just like him, right? In the negative way. And so Israel was like that. They were like the cautionary tale for their kind of like the kid brother Judah to look, in, uh, look at and learn from. I love this uh, demotivational poster here. It says mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others, right? <laughs> I love those. So obviously we know that Israel had a greater purpose than just to serve as a warning to others, but that's probably what they felt like. Like, hey, here's Israel, the sinking ship. And then Judah's like, well, let's get on board that sinking ship. It's going to be a party all the way down. So given all of this, you have to ask your question, why did, why did Judah adopt this spiritual adultery to begin with? Why did they just accept it? And why were they unable to break out? Well, again, there's usually never just one answer, but here's a key answer. Because over the 57 years of this tyranny of Manasseh and Ammon, the word of God had vanished from Judah. Manasseh and Ammon had no use for it. In fact, if you're trying to um, build a culture of idolatry and adultery, it's probably pretty good not to have the word of God staring over your shoulder, right? It's going to make it very difficult for you to accomplish that. There's no place for it in the government. There's no place for it in the temple. Only godly families and individuals that were part of the remnant that would hold God close to the hearts that would memorize uh, the scriptures like Josiah's mother um, Jadida did. Always remnant. But the Holy Spirit is moving once again in Judah through the dedication of King Josiah. 
So God decides to break in and allow one of the greatest discoveries ever to happen to his people. It is one that would certainly put Indiana Jones to shame, right? Show that next slide there. It's only going to be up for a second. Yeah, there we go. You thought that was good. So at this point in time, this is when we see the other half of why Josiah is called Josiah the Tenacious. Not, what, not only was he a purger of sin, but he was a pursuer of God. We already knew that he pursued God. He was pursuing God since he was eight years old. So what is taking his pursuit to the next level? What's doing it? I'll tell you what, here it is. The discovery of the book of the law. If they called it a movie, it would be Raiders of the Lost Book. So this is how, this is how the, it breaks down in 2 Kings 22. It's a great story. I will summarize it for you. When Josiah was 26, he decided to renovate the temple since it had fallen to ruins and a lot of sacrilege, right? They had not been repaired in over 100 years since the time of King Jotham. So Josiah, he brings in all the stonemasons, the carpenters, the interior designers, Verizon Fios, the whole thing to get this temple back up online. And so there was a man in the middle of all this construction. This man's name was Hilkiah. Everyone say Hilkiah. I remember that word because he was the acting high priest at the time. And to this point, he didn't have a whole lot to do, right? And so all of a sudden, like, whoa, I, I, I got something to do. So he's probably in the temple there, probably figuring out where his office should be. And as he, as he, as he rummages around, perhaps in the rubble, he unwittingly uncovers a scroll. It's not any scroll. It's a scroll that used to reside in the Ark of the Covenant itself. It is a scroll of the Torah written on by Moses himself. Now, scholars believe it wasn't the entire um, you know, first five books of the Bible, but it was likely the book of Deuteronomy, which you already mentioned today. So the reason Deuteronomy, it, it was so cool to have this book found is because Deuteronomy tells of all of the blessings and the cursings, the blessings for obeying, right, which are, which are a lot. But then uh, there are the warnings for the curses, which are even more, right? So this is what they discover. So what does, what does Hilkiah do with it? Oh, mercy. Yes, first of all, you can't even imagine, like, can you imagine the state of a nation that takes the original document of Moses, takes it out of the ark, and then throws it somewhere where it's forgotten? Can you even imagine that? Well, I guess if you live, as Steve indicated earlier, if you live in modern-day America, we have an idea of what a nation is like that discards the Word of God. Hilkiah brings a scroll to Josiah and has it read to him. First, uh, 2 Kings 21, 11. And uh, there's an artist's rendition of this on the screen. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. That's a way, a way of, of ownership of the truth, of humility and contrition. When the word of God comes in, it instantly breaks him. He tears his robes and says, oh God, have your way. Um, before we uh, finish the story, you know that's, that happens today. As Americans here, we often take the Word of God for granted. How many of you probably have 50 Bibles laying around your house and there's kind of a, a familiarity that sometimes breeds contempt as the saying goes? But I just want a good reminder that there are believers all over the world that do not have access to the Word of God. And um, uh, I think a month or so ago, Ben Stickley who I showed this video at, at Crossfire, and I was going to show it again. It's a minute-long video, a video of, of Chinese Christians that are receiving the Word of God for the very first time. All right, can we take a look at that?
Yeah, sobering, isn't it? Mm. I'll clap for this guy. Yeah, have you been reading the, 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 the Chinese underground church? They're going through it. They are going through it. But just uh, let this, let the, the importance and the, and the treasure of God's word be new to us all over again. You see, Josiah, he treasured God's word, even though that he knew God's anger burned against Judah for their past sins of the idol, idolatrous swamp. So just to make sure, when he, when he heard uh, the reading of the law, just to be sure he was interpreting it right, because, you know, what does he know? He doesn't know much except for what his mom told him. He calls for a prophet in the land, and there's only one that's handy, uh, and that is a prophetess, Huldah. So she comes in, and she uh, confirms to the king exactly what the word of God has said, and, and indeed tells him that judgment is coming for those 57 years of spiritual adultery. But she says this to him, so beautiful. She says, Josiah, because your heart was responsive. Right? Remember, it's a, a reminder that God is always the initiator. We don't have it within us to initiate God, but we are, and it's our God, job to respond. So she says, because your heart was responsive, because you humbled yourself before the Lord and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, and your eyes will not see disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So the law of sowing and reaping, it's still in place, but there's a hedge of protection over King Josiah for as long as he lives and for the whole nation. You see, Josiah never expected to find the word of God, did he? He didn't say, hey, would you renovate and can you look and see if you can find that? But he did find it because he was simply faithful to do what he knew to do. So here's just one quick word I'll say to you. Some of you are looking for a word of God in your life, whether it's direction or whatever. Waiting scripturally is not a passive thing that you do. Like, I'm just going to sit here and sulk in my, uh, in my realm of self-pity until you speak to me. Do what Josiah the Tenacious did. Do what you know to do. Be faithful. Love other people. Give yourself to the Word of God, even if it feels dry. Pray, even if it feels like there's a ceiling above you. Do what you know to do. Put yourself in a position to hear from God's Word. Amen? And He will speak that in time. Because of God's word, Josiah's tenacious pursuit becomes Judah's pursuit, right? In 2 Kings 23, Josiah then gathers everyone together. The Bible says from the least to the greatest. He's not just inviting the elite. From the least to the greatest to the temple of the Lord. He reads to them the entire book of the law, the entire scroll. He reads it word for word. And there he decides he will renew the covenant of Moses, Right, the, the, the covenant that God made with Moses. So this is uh, the actual um, verse from 2 Kings 23.3. The king stood by the pillar of the temple and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, his statutes and decrees, to follow him with all of his heart and soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book that all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So you know what happened shortly after that? God... Uh, the people of God, they celebrated the Passover in grand fashion in a way that they haven't done since the time of the prophet Samuel. That was back in the days of King David. This is the biggest, um, this is the biggest Passover celebration since the days of King David. So, you know, the Passover, Passover celebrates the, um, the, the, the freedom from Egyptian bondage, uh, you know, into the freedom of God. And here it takes on a more contemporary significance, freedom from the bondage of sin and evil. That they, had been, uh, that they had been living under for the last 57 years. 
Uh, and we talk about, you know, do you see Christ in the Old Testament? See, Josiah, he's a type of Christ. He's a foreshadowing of Jesus. He's, he's just a, uh, a foretaste of glory divine, as the song says, to show that there is a Savior that will come and lead people out uh, from, from the spiritual swamp uh, into a dedication and a renewed commitment to God. Consequently, the people of Judah, not Josiah, turned against the remaining false priests and anything left of pagan idolatry. Every vestige of this idolatrous swamp just about was eradicated. Josiah even led his people outside of Jerusalem, taking his Chuck Norris tenacity show on the road, even to the hillsides of Samaria, where, one by one, they grabbed the defiant, ungodly priests and executed them by the sword until the very altars that just before these priests were using to offer pagan sacrifices to foreign gods. After the last priest lay there lifeless, the king gave the orders to burn the very bones of these priests upon their their own altars, thus defiling them for all time. Heck, you know what? Even Josiah died tenaciously, facing the mighty king Pharaoh Necho from Egypt in the battlefield. There's an artist's rendition of that. This dude went down swinging. He did not go gently into that good night. He died, Josiah the Tenacious. So where do we go from that? To how do we put a bow uh, on, this, on this beautiful life of Josiah? Well, when I was thinking about this, I, there's one of my favorite quotes, and many of you probably know it from Theodore Roosevelt, came to mind. And it goes like this. Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a gray twilight that knows not victory or defeat. You guys know that quote? I think Josiah would like that quote. My prayer, guys, for y'all is this, that through the example of King Josiah, we would as individuals and as a church find Josiah's holy tenacity contagious. There's nothing like a limp, lifeless church, a passive church. And there, there is some of that here. There's some of that in many uh, of the men in this congregation. And you know how long it took me to pull myself out of that? Passivity, that is not a trait that we find that's uh, a scriptural attribute, right? My prayer is that through the power of God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through the influence of others, like whether it's uh, your spiritual Jedidah, the, the mother that is, that is uh, encouraging you with words of life from the scriptures, that God would fan into flame, would fan into flame this holy tenacity in us, this kind of holy loving tenacity that both purges sin in our lives and also pursues God with all that we got, the kind of tenacity the Apostle Paul commands us when he says, put to death the evil deeds of the flesh, right? With that kind of Josiah tenacity, that kind of holy tenacity that privileges people to encounter the present-day tenacious love of Jesus. You know, Jesus, as, as we sang earlier, and with a reckless love song, Jesus is tenaciously pursuing people all around you. Would you be willing to avail yourself to be a loving, tenacious co-pursuer with him. Would you be willing to do that? Mm. Lord, save us from our passivity. Lord, he would give us the passion 
the tenacity to have true passion for God, and the tenacity to have true compassion for others. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.